Okay, you guys can have a wee seat. I'm a little sad this morning, but only a tiny bit, because I realized I've gotten to a habit that when Brian comes to teach, I have a wee tea cake. And this morning I'm staying here, so I can't have my sermon tonics tea cake. So if I start fading, it's because I've not had my usual sugar boosted around about this time on a Sunday. But anyway, good morning. If I missed you at the start of our service, nice to see you. Good to have you here with us. It is week four of Advent, and if you're anything like me, you would quite like to freeze time right about now, because I actually think the build-up to Christmas is better than Christmas itself sometimes. I love the anticipation of Christmas. I love all of the fun things, all of the fun plans. I love the different events that go on. I love all of the sparkles and the trees and the decorations, and I would quite like just to freeze time right about now. We have been on an Advent journey together So far, it's been fun. Uh, Let's recap that journey. Week one, we had apple and cherry flavored hope juice. Yes, uh, let's let's save our applause maybe. Week two, we had peach flavored peace juice. Week three was joy and that was sparkling cherry and cranberry juice. And then today, folks, I don't think you ever expected to be drinking love juice at church, but... It is here, and it is delicious, so you can enjoy that afterwards. But Advent juice aside, we have also had some amazing Advent messages so far. Wade started us off a few weeks ago with a message on how we can have hope in uncertain times. We heard from Shagan then week two about how he pointed us back to Jesus as our source of peace because Jesus is our peace. Peace is a person. And then Abby last week elevated joy beyond this idea of joy as great happiness to actually be something uh, about how it's deeper, richer, um, truer even for us as we have the joy of our salvation. We can access that at any time that we need to. It's only one week until Christmas and while some people may be anxious about securing that coveted turkey that is large enough to feed their family, or you might be trying to get all your Christmas shopping done in time. Personally, I am worried that I simply do not have enough time to get my way through Netflix's substandard Christmas movie selection of 2022. Maybe it says a lot about me as a person or my stage in life, but honestly, guys, I think that it might be my favorite genre of movie right now. Maybe that's just what I'm going to Netflix for, but you know what? I don't want to be scared, okay? I don't want to worry that the main character might die on me once I'm attached to them. I don't want to be on the edge of my seat. I don't even want to have to pay attention. I want one hour and 26 minutes of universal rated Christmas cheese, and that is what Netflix has been giving me this Christmas season so far. Here's some of my ratings so far, just in case you're curious. So, you can argue with me later. Okay, I'm going from best to worst. Falling for Christmas, Lindsay Lohan, Ski Hill vibes, heartwarming, love story, nice, good times. Uh, Return of Lindsay, we love it. Uh, Then Christmas with you, Christmas with you, it has pop songs in it, it has a pop singer in it, um, and they write a Christmas song together. What could be better than that? Then The Noel Diary, um, that has Kevin from This Is Us in it, which is great. Uh, It's got a nice dog as well. Um, Return to Christmas Creek, I give that one a 7 out of 10 because it's nice in its predictability, you know? Uh, Corporate woman, doesn't like Christmas, has to return to her wee Christmassy town, likes Christmas again, you know, that kind of story. Uh, California Christmas City Lights, Not the best sequel, not the worst sequel, so it gets a nice solid six out of 10. Christmas Wedding Planner, three out of 10. Not, not good, not good. And not 
not good in the good way, if you know what I mean. Just not good. And then a Christmas miracle for Daisy. I didn't even finish that one. Two out of ten. And I have a wonderful capacity for finishing these movies. <laughs> but Christmas miracle for Daisy would not recommend. Out of all of the many things that these Christmas movies have in common, and there are many things they have in common, three things ring out, okay? Christmas, love stories, less than an hour and a half. And they require you to suspend all disbelief because within matters of days, the two romantic leads will have met, dated or not dated, and then probably got married on Christmas Eve. When it comes to Netflix's portrayal of love, I have so many questions. And it's funny maybe because we can laugh at it and we can scoff at it a little because it's not real. But honestly, when it comes to the world's portrayal of love sometimes, guys, I have so many questions. I'm a little bit baffled by it. And maybe I'm just baffled by love. What is love? How do we find it? Why do we love the way that we do? What do you mean you've fallen in love? What do you mean you've fallen out of love? Where did you get the love that you feel for that person? How can we not know someone one day and then weeks, months, or even years later find that they've become one of our nearest and dearest? What has happened there? Do I love my friends the way I love eggnog lattes or is it different? <laughs> what is love? And where our previous Advent themes might have challenged us to question things like, how are my hope levels this Christmas? Or am I at peace on the inside? Do I have this joy that is possible? Today's theme for me always sparks an even bigger question than what is love. It causes me to question, to pause and reflect, am I loved? This week, maybe more than the other weeks, brings up a question of identity. Am I loved? And if I am, how do I keep that? If I don't feel loved, where do I find it? The world and by that, I mean music, movies, popular kind of philosophies of thought that underlie all of our thinking and opinion, at least in the Western world. The world has lots to say about love. But honestly, I find that for me, the world's version of love seems to be elusive and a bit hard to pin down. It seems like the sort of love that some people have and some people don't. And it seems like the sort of thing that you could chase your whole lifetime to never find it, to never get it, to never be one of the lucky ones. Or you might have it and find that you've all too easily lost it. You might define it for yourself, figure out what it is in your own mind, and then find it to be inevitably disappointing. And maybe we can live with that. Maybe that's okay. But I think on the inside, so many of us, so often we have this deep desire for more. We know there has to be more possible for us. And maybe you're here today and the Bible to you, you love it and you read it and you live out of it. Maybe for you the Bible is old and feels irrelevant. But here at this church, we really do believe that it is God's message to us, this living word. And it has lots to say about love. And we're going to look at some of the things it has to say about love today because what it says about love isn't airy-fairy. It's like refreshingly clear and helpful for us. 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. The story of the Bible is essentially the story of one God who is love. God is love. And essentially, that way around, God is 
love. I think sometimes in our desire for love, we elevate it almost as if it is God itself. But I believe if we look for God this Christmas, we will find love. But if we treat love as our God, we will be needlessly disappointed. We won't find anything worthy of our worship, not really. The Bible tells us that God is love, and the Bible tells us what love actually is. In 1 Corinthians 13, we read this incredible description of love, famous for a reason. It says this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So in a nutshell, God is love, and love is this. So this is what the God of the Bible is like. This is who we can know him to be. And these are lovely words, and they're often spoken at weddings, or they're sewn onto cushions, but they're not fluff. They are wonderfully concrete and specific in this book that describes love and then says, okay, God is love. This is who he is. This love I have found to be better than any other love that I can find through a human or other spiritual source on this earth. This love is the fitting opposite force to so much of the brokenness we experience and it is the only possible solution for so many of the wounds that we have. Often we know love by how we experience love. And I wonder, have you experienced love in any of these forms recently? Maybe someone was kind to you in a way that you found disarming or in a way that made you feel loved. Maybe someone was patient with you, stayed with you, stuck with you in a moment when they might not have been. Maybe someone could have been angry with you justifiably over something and wasn't. We're surrounded by people made in the image of God, made like him to be like him. So we experience love in these forms through imperfect people. And that is meant to point us and mirror his love and point us to his love because we need his love. We were made for his love. Now my unique blend of brokenness and the fall and my personality means that my struggle on the inside, kind of my primary struggle on the inside has always been with shame. And the kind of basic fear, I guess, I, I battle with in life and I've had to become aware of and try to grow through and take to Jesus, the basic fear I've kind of struggled with has been the fear that if people actually see me, if people actually saw my brokenness and just the realness of who I was, then they would reject me or they wouldn't love me anymore. And I imagine I'm probably not the only person who has wrestled with the fear that if people really saw your brokenness or if you messed up that you might get cancelled <laughs> relationally. Now this year I have experienced love in many different ways and just two examples. So Emma Ingraham, daughter of Brian and Kelly, she's started this thing which I just love where she tells you she loves you over voice notes. Now it's just so wonderfully not British of her to do that because I will love people to death but I will never tell them that I love them. And then Mary Davidson, she has to work here, she included in her handover document a little section on treats that I like, specifically that I like a Diet Coke and the skin off a of Colin the Caterpillar cake, which I don't know if I've ever felt so deeply loved and seen as when I find that note. But more than anything else, stronger and clearer than anything else this year was a time when I messed up and my friends forgave me. Now, it wasn't anything horrific, but it was just one of those moments in life where you look back and hindsight's 2020 and you think, 
wow, I was not the best version of myself there. I was actually a really quite rubbish version of myself there, and I, I didn't behave wisely, and I would do that so differently. And it astounded me, like blew my mind, that my friends in that moment had so much grace for me, that not only did they not um, reject me or cut me off or make me grovel or hold a grudge, but they actually just continued to love me as if it had never happened, forgiving me completely. And the truth is, no matter how hard we find it to believe, the, the truth about love is that real love doesn't reject you when you make a mistake. Real love doesn't breed rejection in our lives, but it actually brings reconciliation. It will always fight for that. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And so when my friends forgave me and loved me as if it had never happened, it caught me off guard and it maybe surprised me because there was maybe still part of me that inside did believe that lie that people love me for what I do, not who I am. But friends, my friends in that moment mirrored God's love for me because what they did is just a shadow of what God has done for me because he loves me for me. He loves me. The gospel, the good news, the thing that sets Christianity apart from basically every other belief system that we know is that God loves you, full stop. God loves me, full stop. That actually his love for me, his love for you isn't tied to your behavior. It's not dependent on your behavior. And his love for you isn't fickle or fragile. And he loved you long before you had any capacity or desire to love him back. We are human and we live in a broken world, so we mess up and we make mistakes and the enemy would have us trapped in a cycle of shame where we do something or we think something and we feel ashamed of ourselves so we try to compensate through our behavior and then it goes wrong again and we feel ashamed of ourselves and we live in that cycle but what we remember at Jesus at Christmas came so that he could take that shame so that he could break that cycle once and for all, so that he could give us his righteousness, his perfection. He's able to restore us to who we were always made to be, which is deeply loved children of God. That is who we are. If you struggle to believe that you're loved today, then your shame might be lying to you. If we need to remember what is true, we can look to John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. And I like that they're basically the same because it helps me remember those. Abby reminded us of John 3.16 last week. It says this, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. We tell you every week, we stand up and say, God loves you. God really does love you. And if there's a part of your head or your heart that cries, How do I know? This is how we know. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. 1 John 3.16 drives it home for us. It says, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. World, pay attention. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. As we look at the manger this Christmas, we want to remember the cross. We want to remember the cross as a determined act of love, persevering to the end, to do whatever needed to be done. Okay, prize for the per first person to shout out the greatest carol of all time, according to my opinion. Holy night. Oh, holy night! Naomi, you get the prize. It's a snowball. <laughs> Great. These could be weapons or prizes. I love it. Correct. Oh, holy night, greatest carol of all time. And we sing that every year, and we sing the words, He knows our need. He knows our need. And those are the words for me in that song that just like, 
get me right in the heart. And I love that as we sing those words, we can remember that in two ways, God knows our need. He knows our need because he made us for himself. So when we were far from him, when we rebelled against him, when that relationship was shattered by our own rebellion and by um, the fall and what became of the world and its brokenness and the destruction that we brought about it, God knew our needs and he knew we needed a savior. So he sent Jesus to be our savior. And now Jesus, because Jesus came as a baby and lived as a person, took on human flesh, he knows our need because he's lived like us. He's lived in human flesh. He knows our need. God knew our need. Jesus knows our need. And in response to our need, God not only spoke of his love through the ages, which he did, but he sent love. He sent his son. 1 John 3 is just, 1 John in general is an incredible book to read if you want to read about God's love. But 1 John 3 goes on to say in verse 18, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how God loves. If you've ever felt that terror in your heart where someone has spoken love to you or has professed love, but then their actions have not lined up with that, if you've ever felt that tension of what that feels like where you're like, this doesn't feel right, know that God loves with actions and in truth. He loves in a real, true way. And that's what he did by sending Jesus. And that's what Jesus did by going to the cross for us. Because although we might have the cross here um, in our church, we, you might wear the cross as a necklace, you might have the cross tattooed on yourself. We know that it is so much more than a decoration or a symbol. We know that something happened there, like really happened there, that changed history and can change us forever. First John 4, 7 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Why did we need an atoning sacrifice for our sins? Six chapters into the Bible, we read that the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. Corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. And he was not content to leave us that way. And so for years and years, God's people, the, the sin problem, the corruption problem was so big, they had to come to God with animals, with sacrifices, with little bits of blood sacrificed so that they could temporarily be reconciled, so that they could be temporarily come back into his presence, so that they could temporarily be forgiven. But then Jesus came so that once and for all the sin problem could be dealt with for us. Hebrews 7 talks about Jesus and says, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Unlike other high priests, so unlike everything that had happened before, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. Jesus offered himself so that through him, whoever believes in him is set free from every sin. So that cycle of brokenness in our life, we can not only be forgiven, but we can be set free from that as well. And Romans 5 says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were far from him, Christ died for us. We tell you that God loves you, and we try to show you that God loves you, but in everything and in every way that we do that, we want to keep pointing back to his death and resurrection, Jesus' death and resurrection as the greatest demonstration of his love ever. Maybe when we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, there were particular 
aspects of God's love that jump out to you today? Maybe his patience, kindness, that it's not easily angered, that love rejoices with the truth, that always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. For me, over these last few weeks, I just can't get past the fact that love keeps no record of wrongs. And maybe that's because God has shown me again this year how true that is, or because that feeling of peace, of like deep inner peace and calm that comes when you know that you are forgiven and that you're loved, even at your worst, even after your worst, that feeling is still fresh in my mind. And God loves us enough to keep no record of our wrongs. The simple message of the cross is that any day, no matter what, you can be forgiven and made new. It was always God's plan. In Jeremiah, God says about the future, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. It was his plan and he's made a way. He's brought it about. The call on our lives is to believe in God's act of love and then love like he loves in actions and in truth. And to love people like God loves, to keep no record of wrongs, that is costly and that is countercultural. And it's countercultural because it's counterhuman nature, really. Naturally, we keep records. Maybe not actual lists, I hope, <laughs> but we keep records, these little mental records, little anything from a little mark against someone's name to these massive bleeding grudges. We keep records naturally buried deep or maybe lurking at the surface of our lives and we do it with other people we maybe do it with our friends or the people closest to us maybe people who've hurt us we maybe do it more with people that we find trickier we maybe do it with ourselves maybe the, maybe the ways that we do it with ourselves helps us to remember that we actually do this with other people as well because with ourselves we quite naturally keep little records at times of ways that we wish we'd acted differently or things we've done wrong or ways that we didn't quite live up to who exactly we wanted to be. And these records that we keep bring shame on the inside or project shame towards other people, breed resentment in our lives. Ruth Weller, um, my friend Ruth, pointed me to something that YWAM Kona published a wee while ago about forgiveness. Super simple, but they basically said, imagine what you feel owed and cancel the debt. And she drew this picture for me for today because we have found it helpful this last year as we've talked about forgiveness to Ruth and I, to think of it in terms of a big table where basically you would place everything you feel owed onto that table and then you choose to cancel the debt, you choose to wipe it away. I find this helpful for me, maybe because I'm kind of visual in how I would learn or what I would want to imagine in my mind, but I find it helpful for me as a sort of habitual practice because I find that I habitually would keep records. Otherwise, it's in my human nature. And sometimes there's the big things, but I think quite often it's just the little things. Like, for example, you might be on shift at work and someone speaks harshly to you. Our nature would say, okay, we're wounded by that. We remember that. We associate that person with that kind of behavior. Forgiveness in this way would mean we put what we feel owed onto that table. I felt owed a kinder word. I felt owed patience. We put that on and we choose to cancel their debt and hand that to God. 
Maybe you forget someone's birthday. Someone forgets your birthday. I did this recently, um, so I can use this as an example. Someone close to you forgets your birthday. You might feel owed uh, care, consideration, a gift if there was someone very close to you. Forgiveness would say you put the things you feel owed on the table and you choose to hand those to Jesus. You cancel the debt. It's a silly example, but it maybe helps us imagine what it would feel like to put what we feel owed when it comes to something more serious. Sometimes I think I am a generally forgiving person or that I've done the forgiving work in some of the bigger areas of my life, so I don't actually have any forgiveness to do, but then when I ask Jesus, okay, do I feel like anyone owes me anything? Or when I feel a little spark of resentment flag up or I wonder about why I'm reacting a certain way to something and I actually reflect on it, I think, okay, no, wait, I am. There are debts, there are records, there are things that I need to clear again with him. As we think about love this Christmas, we get to remember that Jesus came to do this for us. God is God and God made us, and God is worthy of all of our worship, all of our love, and yet he takes our rejection of him and all that came with that, all that comes with that, and he puts that on the table, and through Jesus, he will cancel that debt for us. He cancels it if we let him, so that any mistake, any shame you might have, any misspoken word, any bad thought, any mess of our own making can go on that table too, And because of Jesus, because of the cross, can be cleared off. The debt is canceled. Friends, you are deeply loved and precious in God's sight. And if you're searching for love right now, I just want you to know today that there is a better love available. There is a perfect love available. And this Christmas, my prayer is that you would know the joy and peace that can come on the inside from experiencing this love that keeps no record of wrongs. The challenge is simple, and it's that if this is new to you, or you're curious, or you're exploring faith, or returning to faith, sign up for Alpha. And if that's not you, invite someone to Alpha. I'm going to pray with us in a little second. Um, So if you want to close your eyes, I would love us to go into Christmas just having made space to to do this for other people in our lives if we need to kind of clear some slates right now. So just close your eyes for a wee second and just reflect back on the last year, if you can, maybe just the last weeks if those are freshest. But Holy Spirit, would you help bring to mind right now if there's things that we feel owed, if there are any debts that we're holding on to from people in our life this last year, Would you bring those things to mind? Maybe the instance where we were hurt, maybe the moment when something was said or something was not done. God, would you just bring to mind that there are any hidden debts in our life, Lord, where we need to do some forgiveness work? And if you want to, just as things come to mind, you can just choose right now in your own heart to Put it on the table. What do you feel owed? And choose in your heart to clear it, to clear the debt, cancel the debt. Choose to forgive and hand that over to Jesus. And Jesus, as we come and we look into Christmas and we remember 
you and we celebrate what it meant for us that you came to earth. We just take a moment too, and if there's any area of our life where we're off and we want to seek your forgiveness, we just make space for that. And God, we thank you that you are able to forgive and that in love, you keep no record of our wrongs once you've forgiven. Jesus, you love us perfectly. And we depend on that love today. We take hold of that love today. And finally, I just want to pray for anyone who's here today who doesn't know you, maybe is searching for you. Jesus, would you be real to them this Christmas? Would you reveal yourself to them? And would you draw their heart to yours, God? We thank you for your love and we pray that you'd pour it out today. Lord, for any hurting, brokenhearted, weary soul who's here, God, I just pray for a fresh pouring out of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. According to the Bible.